0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it to Romans chapter 5. You can follow along in you version. Um, while you're doing that, I just want to let you know on Friday, I received a text from, from three different people who had supposedly received a text from me. Um, and this is what the text said. Um, are you available? I have a favor to ask. Please reply when you get my text. Um, so this is a scam text. That number was not my text. Um, if you, you will not receive a text from us like this. And I just want to encourage you, if you, if you get a text like this um, purporting to be from, from myself or one of our other pastors, we just, we just let someone know because um, we want to communicate to our body as much as we can when those kinds of things happen. This is probably the fourth time that's happened this year. Um, and what happens is people get taken in by this text and they, they buy Apple gift cards. Um, they send the number to people and then they exchange that for cash and then you're out your money. So I just want to encourage you, if you, if you happen to receive a text like that, um, ignore it, let someone know um, so we can just share that with our body. Um, I just wanted to let you know that. So last week I told you about our grandson Grayson's birthday was coming up, and then I forgot. Like we only have four grandkids, so you would think I'd be able to keep that straight. Um, I forgot, but our um, our daughter's youngest um, grand, our daughter's youngest son, Damian, also had a birthday um, last week. So one of the things that we did as I shared is we we kind of find out what the kind of gifts that they want, um, and we send them different things. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I got, what we got for Grayson later. Um, but we sent Grayson a gift. We sent Damian a gift. <laughs> And Grayson was really wanting the gift that we had sent to him. Well, uh, one of the great things about technology is you get to watch your grandkids open um, presents. Does anybody else do that as a grandparent? Cool. A few others of you. If you don't, you should. It's a real great gift. Um, So as we're watching this, our daughter gave the youngest his present first gave the present to Damien first, and immediately Damien was captivated by what his younger brother received. And I could kind of see where this was going in my head. Um, So then Katie gave Grayson his gift, and he took the first one out, kind of looked at it, and this was something that he really wanted. Looked at it, set it on the table, and then immediately grabbed for Damien's gift right? And then our daughter says, oh no, there's another gift in the bag. So he reaches in the bag and he didn't even like open it all the way. It was kind of like, mm, I'm just going to want what Damien has. I think, there's a, I think there's a real spiritual truth to this. And we're going to unpack that as we read through Romans uh, chapter five today. You can follow along. These are verses one to five. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Where we now stand, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You know, one of the things, as we've been going through uh, the book of Romans so far, is it's really focused up to this point on the righteousness that we get from God through Jesus Christ. Uh, as Christians, the, the Christian phrase that we use for that is called justification. We are justified in the eyes of God because of what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus um, sees us sort of through the lens of Jesus. We are made right with God. And, and it can be easy for us to th- wonder or to think, like, is, is that all we get out of a relationship with God. And maybe that seems like a weird question that we would ask. Is that all we get, is to be positionally made right with God? And Romans 5 tells us a number of other things that we get from our relationship with God. Um, the first one that we need to make sure we recognize from this text is we're made right with God by faith. It's not actions that make us right. It's not works that make us right right being right with god is not our birthright it's not something that we are born into it's also not sheer luck i think sometimes we think like we're going to get to heaven and it'll be it'll be like by the skin of our teeth like whoo we barely made it slid under the bar at the last second it's not luck it's by faith and we don't only get positional righteousness the text here in romans 5 tells us that we have peace with god Because of what Jesus has done for us. And this peace was not without cost. The peace that we have with God is made available to us. Because of the beaten, bloodied, murdered body of Jesus Christ. See this is why we have peace with God. It's it's not without cost. It also tells us that we're in a place of undeserved privilege. We hear that word a lot in 2022. Privilege. Um, usually within the context of, of something that we have or, or something that we are because of, because of who we are, like our socioeconomic status gives us privilege. Maybe our skin color gives us privilege or our ethnicity gives us privilege. But see, in God's kingdom, it's an undeserved privilege. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory, not, not because of something that we've done, not because of a place that, that we've been put into, like, boy, we were really lucky to be born into the United States of America. Right? We have, we've received this privilege because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done for us. It also tells us, and this is, this is really controversial, it says that we have the ability to rejoice when we run into problems and trials. This one is really hard for us as 2022 Western American thinkers. Because we, I think, have become discomfort-averse. Here's what I mean. How many of you turned your seat warmer on in your car this morning? Really? It was like 106 on Wednesday. Right? Do we... Do we see how, how discomfort-averse we are as people? You know, we, we like the algorithm that gives us the music that we like on demand. Only thumbed-up songs. right? Everything is geared towards our comfort. Netflix queues up the next episode before you can find the remote. Anyone been there? Like the little thing starts going across right away. We are discomfort averse. And the thing is, is is we believe that comfort is our birthright. We believe that we are entitled to comfort. We believe that we are deserving of comfort. We believe that we are entitled to a pain-free life. But the thing is, that's not real life, is it? We imagine it is. I've, I've, been, I've been listening over the past week or so. I've been listening to a reading plan. And I wonder if you just heard what I said. I've been listening to a reading plan. And doesn't that just perfectly define discomfort, adversity? I don't want to read it. I want to listen to it. I don't even have to read my Bible. I have someone read it to me for me. Well, I've been listening to the book of Job and he, he suffers tremendous loss. If you're familiar with the story, he loses his family and his finances and his crops and his animals. He just loses everything. And then finally, his health is attacked and his wife comes to him and she says, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, we probably don't think about it that way. But we do ask in the midst of hardship, where is God? What has God done for me? Where has he been? If I'm in this relationship with God and I'm still going through these these hardships and these realities, like what good is it? What's the use of being in an actual relationship with God anyway? And I love Job's answer to his wife. You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So this is a lesson for us. Should I accept only thumbs up songs from my Pandora station and never the occasional song I don't want to hear? We can't accept only expect only good from God and not bad. The ability to choose joy and rejoice is a choice and it's a decision that we have to make. The ability to choose joy is a decision. Paul tells us that the problems, they, the problems and trials, help us to develop endurance and strength of character and hope that doesn't lead to disappointment. See, these things are, are meant to take place in our lives to do something for us. And all too often, because we are adverse to discomfort, we, we flee from the hardship. And I'm not saying we should, we should be masochistic or we should, we should martyr ourselves for the suffering. But what I am saying is, is, is the things that happen in our lives are, are there for a reason. They're meant to do something to us. And when we, when we develop endurance and strength of character and hope, we're not disappointed. And this is not the kind of hope that we normally think of. We hope that good things happen. But the hope that Paul is talking about is based on the goodness of God and the demonstrated realities and the history of his loving goodness to us. See, we read the Bible and we can see all of the ways that God is faithful to the Jewish people. We can read through the New Testament. We can see all of the ways that God is faithful to Christians. We can look back in history and we can see all of the ways that God is faithful and what would it be like for you today, this afternoon, to go home and break out a piece of paper, to make a list of all of the ways that God is faithful, all of the things that God has done to give you hope and meaning and purpose. And then when, when hardship happens, what would it be like for you to, Break that list out and remember God's faithfulness. Oh yeah, God did this and he did this and he did this and he did this, so he's probably going to do that. And what will be interesting about that list is, is they won't be discomforts or hardships that you avoided. There'll be discomforts and hardships that God led you through. That God allowed in your life so that he could reveal the reality of who he is in your life. I want to encourage you today, this afternoon, to, to make a list. And my guess is, because we are, we tend to think negative. We might think our, our list isn't going to be very long. But as you, as you do that and you pray through it, I imagine you have a full piece of paper. Because what you're going to see is God is eminently faithful. We've talked about that so many times in the book of Romans. Just because I'm unfaithful, just because we're unfaithful, does that mean God is? No, he is faithful. Even in the midst of that hardship. And it's through these experiences of God's grace. Problems, trials, and sufferings. Those are God's graces to you. You should know that. They're gifts. That's how God will use things to shape your character and cement your hope in him. See every other thing that we attempt to put our hope and our trust in is going to fail us, but when your character is shaped through the crucible of problems, what you 're going to see is a God who has empowered you to make it through. You are going to see the reality of who God is, and, and it won't be because what you of what you are made of, it will be because of who. He is and who he's made you to be. Let's read verses 6 through 11. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us sons of God. So there are a couple things to talk about here. That, that first verse, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I want to I talk about the last part before I talk about the first part. The last part is at just the right time. So what does that mean? That he came at just the right time. Well, we've talked about this before. At, at this point in history, the Roman Empire was the, most, was the most, most powerful empire in the history of the world. All roads led to Rome. And Jews had been scattered since the time of Assyrians all over southern Europe into modern-day Turkey, setting up synagogues wherever they went. Do you see how God used hardship to set up his kingdom? See, these roads provided a safe means of travel for missionaries like Paul. And the synagogues gave him places to speak. When we read through the book of Acts, what we see is anytime Paul entered into a new town, he often started in the synagogue. See, this hardship that the Jewish people faced being, being cast all over, being, being ethnically cleansed from their homeland, actually set it up so that at just the right time, Jesus would come into the world. See, God knew what he was doing in the midst of all of this. He knew when the time was right. The Assyrian captivity was God's judgment on his people. Indeed, certainly God's judgment on his people, but there was more at work in their suffering and I wonder, and we have to ask the question, what, what hardships and realities and situations and circumstances are we facing in our lives today? That years from now, perhaps decades from now, perhaps centuries from now, God is going to have a mighty harvest because of, because of a hardship that you had to endure, because of a hardship of what you went through, because of something that you suffered. We've talked about this. It's been a while, but, and what if, what if your suffering wasn't about you? What if your suffering wasn't about you? What if your suffering is for someone else? Jesus's arrival wasn't an accident. It wasn't a fluke. What's so amazing about, about knowing the history of the Roman Empire, the roads and, and the culture and all of the things that they did, they, they actually provided the foundation for their eventual fall. Because as, we, as we're going to read through Romans, as the Christians faced persecution, in, increased persecution, increasing persecution over their time, they didn't just... They didn't just go and live in a certain place in the middle of nowhere away from the empire. They actually embraced their role. And they began to do crazy things like, like taking babies that the Roman citizens um, would put in the woods because they didn't want to have any more children and left them to die. They began to do crazy things where like when, when the Roman culture was, was fleeing from people who were sick or who were ill, the Christians went to them. And at some point in history, like when the Roman Empire had about 51% Christian, like the empire fell. It tipped. And Rome had laid this groundwork. And a better way to put it is God had laid that groundwork. Because it wasn't, it wasn't an accident. And now here's the first part of that text. He says, we were utterly helpless. I think, this is, I think this is how many of us think about our individual problems and the problems of the world. It's just weakness. We can't not do certain things. We can't help it. And we think that if we can just, if we can just pull ourselves up through willpower and desire and individual strength, we think we can make it. But Paul says something else. It wasn't wasn't just that we were utterly helpless. Paul writes that we were ungodly. Now, you're not going to see the word ungodly in here. But the the Greek word that Paul uses for sinners in verse 6 is ungodly. What Paul is saying is we were utterly helpless. We were ungodly. We were sinners. And Christ died for us in the midst of our sin. We were saved from the effects of our sin. We were saved from the effects of death and destruction. And ultimately, we were saved from God's wrath. And this righteousness for God saves us from the penalty. And then, verse 10 actually takes it one more step. We weren't just helpless, we weren't just ungodly, we weren't just sinners, we were God's enemy. Do you see this progression that Paul is making? See, we tend to minimize sin. We, At least, well, we minimize our sin. We magnify the sin of everyone else around us, right? And we minimize our sin. And Paul, like Paul won't have it. Paul says it's not a matter of weakness. It's not just that you're ungodly. It's not just that you're sinners. In fact, you are a enemy of God, and we ask this question, like, how, like how do we respond to that? Do these, do these accusations that Paul is making, that God is making through Paul, do they just kind of go in one ear and out the other? I feel like a lot of times when we read the Bible, uh, we're, we're so familiar with it that it loses its capacity to impact and affect us. It loses its capacity to convict us. And my guess is when the Romans first heard this, they they couldn't relate. When the Jews and the Christians heard this, they, they couldn't identify with this because likely they had never applied these terms to themselves. And I wonder if we have applied these terms to ourselves. Would we look back on our previous life and consider ourselves helpless, ungodly, Sinners, rebels against God. I think not because often we've minimized our own sin. And I think part of it is too, is we've always understood ourselves to be among God's people. Right? We come to church. We are around God's people. We are around other Christians. And this, this line between our identification with God And the place that we live and our Midwestern morality is a really thin line. So by default, we've we've thought like we're always Christians because we're around Christian people. I know it's not popular. We do have a relatively Christianized Western culture because we're Westerners. It's what we do. There's a great book on that by a guy named Tom Holland, not Spider-Man Tom Holland, another guy named Tom Holland called Dominion, where it's like 800 pages of how, of how the West is what it is because of Christianity. Whether we want to believe that or not, it's true. And I think what happens is we've, we've identified ourselves with Christianity. But I wonder if we've identified ourselves with Christ I want you to let the offensiveness of that soak in for a minute. I want you to be bothered by it. Several weeks ago, we read through Romans chapter 1. And I talked about how often whenever whenever we read Romans 1, especially verses 21, 24 to 27, uh, where it talks about the sexual ethic of our day and how it contrasts what God's sexual ethic is how we often are accused of hate, how we are often accused of intolerance. And the interesting thing as I've been thinking about that text over the last several weeks, and and I know what comes after it, I'm going to share a little bit of that in a second, but the interesting thing is at least reading through Romans 1 and the list of sins in Romans 1, at least someone is actually offended by it. No, I think that's a misguided offense. I think they're offended for the wrong reason. But the reality is when we hear the sins listed in the following verses, sins like greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, and gossip, when we hear those sins applied to us, it's like water off a duck's back, right? We're not bothered by being accused of that. And I think it's because we have a skewed identity. We have a skewed sense of what sinfulness really is. How bad sinful is. And Paul goes on to write, after that list of sins, not the sexual sins, after that list of sins, Paul writes this. God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. This is, We ought to be offended by what the Bible says. And not just for those people who sin differently than us. Paul is telling the Romans, these Christians, he's telling them that, that you are utterly helpless. You are ungodly. You were sinners. You are actually rebels against God. And for, for, those, of us, for those of us in the room who, who aren't Christians, like this is you. And before you get mad about that, or maybe as you get mad about that, Christians, this was you. This is the reality of who you were. And the amazing thing is, it is into this reality, this utterly, our utter helplessness, our godlessness, our sinfulness, and our glad rebellion against God, that Jesus comes into it to save you. See, God doesn't just tell you all of these things so you feel bad. That's guilt versus conviction. See, God sends Jesus into that mess to save you, to redeem you, to give you righteousness, to pull you out of your sinful place. And the question we have to ask is, like, how are we going to respond to that? That's what I love so much about this. We don't just get God's righteousness. Listen, Jesus makes you right in his sight. That's righteousness. He gives you peace and undeserved privilege. You have the choice to rejoice in hard times and trials because you have hope that's born from endurance and character. You have the Holy Spirit filling your heart with love. You're saved from God's condemnation. No longer an enemy. You are a friend of God. In short, you have Any and every single thing that you could ever need available to you from Jesus. This salvation is a free gift. When we were were, um, talking about this last week in our pastor's review of this text, Zane said, Who wouldn't want all this? Why wouldn't we want this? Why wouldn't we take advantage of these things? Well, what do these things look like practically? Well, God gives us peace with him through Jesus. Job is right. God is not at war against you. We are allowed to confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in his glory. See, we get to act and live like we have been transformed by God today. We are not just saved for some future reality. This is not jettison and abandon when we die and we all go to heaven and everything is going to be great. We have the opportunity to live the full life today. We have the ability to choose joy when confronted with problems and trial because this helps us develop endurance, strength of character, and hope that does not lead to disappointment. See, the world is watching us in the way that we respond to the realities of life. When we as Christians face hardship, the world's watching. They're paying attention. And what you say on Facebook about your hardship and what you say to your friends in the coffee shop about how awful your life is, is being heard by non-believers. I am not saying don't be real about your pain Think of what Paul tells the church at Thessalonica. That they are not to grieve like people who don't have hope. See, we often think that that text is a, is a funeral verse. Someone's passed away and we, we want to we demonstrate that we believe hope. We want to demonstrate the reality of what Christ has done. But I would submit to you that it's more than a funeral verse. How we respond to hardships in our lives is a demonstration of what we believe about what God has done for us and what God can do for us and what God will do for us because people are paying attention. We have the Holy Spirit. We're saved from God's condemnation. We rejoice in this relationship because we're not afraid of God. For some of you, wouldn't that be good to not be afraid of God? to not constantly be looking over your shoulder when the next thing is going to happen. And I would, I would tell you that if that's your mindset, when is the next thing going to happen? When is the, shoe, the other shoe going to drop? When is this next thing going to befall me? What I would tell you is, is you are living in a fear of God, in an unnecessary fear of God, because it's an opportunity for us to grow. Let's let's read the rest of Romans 5 together, verses 12 to 21. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Here's a completely unrelated point. You need to know that Paul here is saying that he believes in a literal historical Adam. We'll talk about that some other time. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any, sin, any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to, the con- led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, I think about this, this example of our grandson, Grayson. He really wants this thing, these two things, in fact. And in his mind, of course, he thinks like, you know, ultimate satisfaction. So we give him those things. But he exchanges it for something that's less than. He wants someone else's gift. He wants something that was purchased for someone else. He wants something that was bought for something else. For someone else. He wants something that was made for someone else. And as we read through this last section of Romans 5, we see two stories at work in the world. The story of Adam and his sin leads to chaos, death, and destruction. Last week, we, we encourage you to read through Genesis chapters 1 to 6. And I, I really hope you did. Because what happens in those chapters is a single law is violated and the curse began and the sin of and the consequence of our sins runs deep and wide. Adam and Eve hid because they're afraid. They're cast out of the garden. They have a son. They have two sons. Their son Cain murders Abel because of anger, bitterness, and jealousy. Five generations later, Lamech kills a man, and he doesn't fear God. At least Cain was afraid of God, right? If you banish me, if you send me out, people are going to see me, and they're going to kill me. Not so with Lamech. He boasts of his sin. He brags of his sin. And over the next several generations, everything humans thought or imagined was evil. And it's really not hard for us to see that in our own world today our sinfulness has lasting consequences not just for ourselves but with everyone that we come into contact with this is this is systemic we hear that word also a lot in 2022 systemic problems systemic issues and it's true it's because of sin Author Scott McKnight gives, describes this systemic sin. He he calls it casual power. I love that so much. I'll describe it this way. Even on a cold day, if your car is sitting outside in the sun, when you get into the car, the interior is warm, right? See, that's a casual power. It's a casual influence, The story of Adam leans to death because because we can't help it. We are utterly helpless. But we're also ungodly and we're sinners and we're in rebellion against God. But the second story is the story of Christ. And Christ's righteousness brings us life. And the result of his gift is not just righteousness. It is to be equally systemic in nature. It must be equally casual in its power. How? How does this happen? When we demonstrate that we have peace with God, we are exhibiting this casual power. When we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory, we exhibit this casual power. When we choose joy amidst hardship, we exhibit this casual power. When we operate out of the heart of love that's home to the Holy Spirit, we demonstrate this casual power. When we recognize that we are saved from God's condemnation, we're demonstrating this casual power. When we rejoice in our new relationship and friendship with God, we're demonstrating this casual power. There are only two stories at work in this world, the story of Adam and the story of Christ, and each and every one of us are living one of those two stories. There's, there's not a third story. There are only two. Last night, we were at the praise banquet for Summit Christian College, and part of that was recognizing uh, Dave Robinson's retirement from, from teaching at the school. Scott Gribble talked about Dave's principles of interpretation class, and he said that Dave's principles can be reduced to three things, which are kind of interesting as I was thinking about this last night. One of the things that we've talked about before are what what does the Bible say, what does it mean, and what are we to do with it? Here are Dave's. What does the text say? What does the text mean? And how do I apply it? I'm glad that finally Dave has caught up to me in my education. What does Romans 5 say? It says there is more to being made right with God than a positional relationship. What does it mean? God has an amazing life available to you and for you. A life that's meant to give you peace and hope and joy and a friend. How do we apply it? Man, verse 17, so awesome. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. See, grace is a gift that must be received. I'm so often like our grandson Grayson. I've been handed the thing that I really, really, really want, only to see something shinier, seemingly more attractive, and in my selfishness and my lack of satisfaction in in God's good and better gift, I grasp for what I perceive is the better gift. And here's what I receive instead when I do that. I receive the consequences of Adam's story in my life. I receive death and chaos and destruction, and this is sin. And I must repent of this. You must repent of this sin. God's gift of righteousness, however, is not a casual power. We don't we don't receive it by happening to be in the right place at the right time. We don't receive it because we are around others who receive it. God's righteousness is something that we willingly receive. See, it's a choice. We must choose to receive it, and this is why Grayson and his gifts are such a perfect metaphor. And now, you know what? What did he get? What did he get? What did he get? Well, as we were having this conversation with our daughter, um, she said, you know, Grayson, all the kids at school, and Grayson's in kindergarten, first grade. Grayson's in first grade. All the kids at school have a, have a Clinton Community Schools Clinton baseball cap and a Clinton Community Schools T-shirt. And like he wants that just about more than anything in the entire world. And I think that's why this is such a perfect metaphor. Because a hat and a shirt are things that we put on. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 4, 21 to 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like god truly righteous and holy see we have the opportunity like grace and like put on what we really want which is christ and how many times do we just take out of the bag transform our toy and reach for that instead we have the opportunity to put on jesus christ have you put on jesus christ have you put on this new nature? As Zane said, like why wouldn't you? What are we waiting for? Each week at Westway Christian Church, we participate in communion. See this, this, this act that we do together. This is an identification marker of one who has received Christ's righteousness. I love Romans 5 so much, especially verses 12 to 21, because in them we go from weak, ungodly sinners who rebel against God to righteous people who are preparing for an eternal life with him. And this, this righteousness is only available because of what Jesus has done for us. This righteousness was made available to you because Christ's body was broken for you. It was beaten. It was bloodied. It was whipped. It was murdered for you. And when we take the bread, we remember that. Take And this righteousness, all of these other things are only available to you because Jesus' blood was spilled for you. The fullness of who God is, the fullness of new life, the fullness of righteousness is available because of the body and blood of Christ. Take and drink. Will you bow with me? Father, we are, we are here this morning because we are, we are in need of the real thing. We have a real need. That real need is redemption. That real need is salvation. That real need is to be raised to life. And that's available through your son, Jesus. I pray for those of us who haven't, who haven't made that decision. That as, as much as they may hear hard things from your text, from your word, they would see your heart. Your heart is not to... is not to condemn without an offer of reconciliation your heart is to demonstrate for us just how far apart we really are and to reveal to us how close we can truly be and jesus is the example of both we're not going to be compared and contrasted to other people when we when we pass from this earth And we stand before you in judgment. The only person we are going to be compared and contrasted to is your son, Jesus. And compared to him, we have each failed. But that's not the whole story because you have made a way to be right with you. You've made a way for us to have the fullness of life. And that's found in your son, Jesus. And I pray that we would hear that today. And I pray that we wouldn't just hear it. I pray that we would receive it. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen.